the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this 10th day of November 2023. Broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building, as you heard there from Johnny D in the open. It's Luke Wiggs and Marsha Gavalik hanging out with you for a final time this week at least. But don't worry, we'll be back on Monday as well. And don't worry, we've got about an hour uh, to get through a pretty busy news cycle. The headlines grabbed yesterday, of course. Uh, by the announcement of Senator Joe Manchin. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, and we're also going to focus pretty heavily on Veterans Day, of course, because that's coming up tomorrow. We'll talk about the Veterans uh, Parade uh, in Martinsburg, and we'll be speaking to uh, a veteran coming up here in just a moment. But, Marsha, we also need to hit on uh, a little bit of a, a traffic note before we get to our it's first guest. It's a huge traffic note. It's been going on for a couple of hours. Uh, I-81 northbound still at a standstill from around mile marker 23 or 24 all the way down to exit 16. And uh, as a result, 11 northbound is boogered up too. So uh, plan around that. Check out WV511 for the latest updates on the map there. But uh, it's it's at a standstill and has been for a couple of hours. So please be mindful of that as you're out and about on your travels. As Luke mentioned, uh, we are getting ready to commemorate our veterans uh, tomorrow. And, And of course, today, a lot of the offices are closed in conjunction with the observance of Veterans Day. Joining us, one of the state's highest-ranking veterans in public service, and that is West Virginia Secretary of State, Mac Warner. Welcome in. Marge and Luke, great to be with you. Thanks for being on. So uh, correct me if I get this wrong. Uh, you, You served five years in Afghanistan, and you are a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, and you're a lieutenant colonel in the Army? Uh, I'm retired, but yes, uh, that, that's all correct, and I appreciate you uh, having me on today. I'd like to start with just wishing a great uh, happy birthday to all of our Marines all across the state. Uh, today is the Marine Corps birthday, hmm. and then tomorrow's Veterans Day. So we have a back-to-back celebration going on. So, well, thank you and all of the veterans for your service, for stepping up. And, and you served in Afghanistan uh, during some pretty scary times, and uh, I noticed it's a— you're, you have four children, and they've all served at some capacity in the military. That's amazing. That's correct. I still have a couple of them in, and uh, one's a company commander at, uh, well, always Fort Bragg, Fort Liberty now. And uh, so, yes, they've all served. One, uh, my son, Stephen, received a Purple Heart from his uh, wounds over in Afghanistan. And I was over there at the same time my daughter was there. Uh, she actually, uh, we, we spent a bunker uh, night in a bunker on Christmas Eve of 2013 together getting shelled by the Taliban. So we had some unique uh, family experiences, some bonding experiences over there that uh, will last a lifetime. You know, a lot of people just go on a hike. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, sir, I, I've got to be honest, you know, as somebody that hasn't served but has a, a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for those that, that choose to answer the call. I mean, what is it for you specifically uh, that drew you to serving your country? Well, I like to draw the distinction between residents and citizens. A, a resident is somebody that just resides or lives in a place, but a citizen is one who gives back and contributes to the community. Uh, that's what makes our 
vibrant uh, schools and local uh, situation sports, uh, all those sorts of things come together as our citizens. But a veteran is a super citizen. Um, and I'm, what I mean by that is that is somebody who's put their life on the line. They've put on that uniform, and when they do that, it makes them a part of something bigger than themselves. And so they are the ones, and that's why I'm so glad you all are uh, recognizing this and celebrating talking to folks uh, about the importance of Veterans Day because it's those people who make it enable the people that we usually idolize, the sports figures, the Hollywood figures, the uh, musicians, and the Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerbergs, Bill Gates of the world. Think the, the society that enabled them to uh, get their innovation going and take it to market and, and appreciate the great uh, – fame and fortune that they've achieved is all made due to the fact that veterans are out there ready to serve and protect this great democracy of ours. So that's why we take a day uh, like today and tomorrow to celebrate uh, veterans. Um, it's a, uh, there, there's a storied history to this going back at first. It was Armistice Day after uh, the 1918 when the, the war you know, concluded in the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Um, what the, the the Western United, the United States had come into this war over in Europe only because Woodrow Wilson said this is going to be the war to end all wars. They had begged you know, the United States to stop its isolation of tendencies and to get involved. And so he said, well, if we're going to go fight for a cause, if it's going to end all wars, we'll do it. So he sent them over, and within a year, we had tilted the scale and the balance. It had become a stalemate there in, in, in Europe. And so when we won, there was this great euphoria all across the United States that this was the last war we were ever going to have to fight in. And, and so they put up – in fact, there's a neat statue, the Doughboy statue. It was the first mass production of statues. 140 of them were put up all across the United States to celebrate the, the winning of the war because we weren't going to have to fight any more wars. Um, well, we, we know that just 20 years later, we we're back fighting the same people in the same territory that – the means of warfare changes, but the heart of man doesn't. There's always going to be, going back to biblical times, Cain and Abel, there's an evilness in our hearts, and we're always going to be fighting war. So that's why we have to stay prepared for war. And so this armistice, this focuses on Armistice Day changed to Veterans Day. This was after the Second World War and the Korean War in 1954. They said, let's change it to Veterans Day to celebrate all veterans, past, present, and I would even argue into the future because we have to continue to prepare to defend against this evil. The, the mission of the Army is to deter war, and if deterrence fails, then we fight and win the nation's battle. So uh, the, the Roman uh, general um, back in the 4th century said, if you want to, uh, if you desire peace, you must prepare for war. And George Washington echoed that in our own revolution. We always have to prepare for war. And it doesn't take – that's looking back one month ago, October 7th, what happened over in Israel. You've got to stay prepared all the time to deter it or it's going to come up and bite you. And I'm really concerned about our country right now with these open borders and what might be coming across. And that's why we have to uh, – I was at a great session yesterday at the Sutonville Middle School. They had a great Veterans Day celebration, and uh, we were speaking to, to the young people and challenging them to step up and – continue the service of the we, we had close to 100 veterans i would say there uh and all saluted them it's just it, it's great what you all are doing is, is recognizing veterans and it's great to be talking about it today so our guest this morning west virginia secretary of state mac warner who's also a veteran when you talk about things like um spending uh, time in a bunker with your own child your daughter who's served uh, in the military as well getting shelled by an enemy force um you know th- 
I can't imagine that as a, as a parent myself, but people who step up to serve in the military um, all have the same, seem to have this in common. As fearful as this must be for some folks, you're able to tamp it down and, and do your job. What is it about folks who step up for military service? Uh, they're, they're like superhumans. Well, in that particular case, it was neat that my daughter was the one protecting me. I was on her turf. She was stationed at Bagram Air Base, and I'd gone to visit her there. She was one. She had been shelled before, so she knew where the bunkers were. She knew where to go and what not to do and that sort of thing. So she was taking me almost by the hand, Dad, here's where we need to go and that sort of thing. So uh, it was neat uh, to have the roles reversed from what you would usually uh, expect. But what you bring up are the people that, you know, when we do have deterrence, when we are enjoying a time of peace, you look at going back to, to Daniel Boone, Lewis and Clark, Davy Crockett, uh, Kit Carson, to our own West Virginia's General Chuck Yeager, and then Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. These are great pioneers, but these are all military folks who stepped up and, you know, were ready to defend the country. But when they weren't in a fight, they were off exploring and pushing the, the envelope. Uh, great medical uh, you know, advances coming out of the military, um, the triage, uh, trauma treatment, blood banking, orthopedics, uh, disease eradication, you know, yellow fever and polio from Jonas Salk. All these were uh, military uh, advances. Uh, the prosthetic limbs, that came out of the fight in the first land battle at Philippi, uh, West Virginia. Um, a guy named Hanger had his leg blown off and so he started to make a wooden prosthetic and it still exists today this is where the prosthetic limbs got started so yes warfare pushes us into these extreme situations and the military finds a way to step up these people that you're talking about step up and meet those challenges and so uh that that's why think about this harry truman uh, he desegregated the army before the civil rights movement that he, he showed we can desegregate american society and so what he did in the Army in the late 1940s then led to the 50s and the board, uh, Brown versus Board of Education uh, decision and that sort of thing. So um, these that's why I call these veterans super citizens. They step up, put their lives on the line, and meet whatever challenge is coming, whether it's in wartime or in peace. Our guest this morning is West Virginia Secretary of State Mac Warner, who's also uh, running for governor and is a, a United States Army veteran. We've got a lot of turmoil going on in the world. Uh, you mentioned the Israel-Hamas uh, war that's, that has broken out. You recently re- um, put out an, an op-ed, Veterans Day message for 2023, uh, talking about how the United States should focus on peace. Um, what should our stance be uh, in support of Israel or uh, in, in this current crisis? Well, unfortunately, dictators and tyrants across the globe they only understand one thing, and that's raw power. That's force. And, and that's why what Netanyahu and the Israelis are doing right now is what must be done, and that is to go in and use force and settle this, uh, hopefully once and for all. But as we learned, it probably won't be once and for all, but it needs to resolve this situation with Hamas right now. I just hope that Hezbollah and the other um, Muslim Brotherhood and uh, jihadist uh, terrorists uh, stay out of this so it doesn't escalate into a, a much larger war. Um, but sometimes that's why we have the military. Sometimes you have to use it. And we still have something like 30 Americans held hostage or that were killed over there uh, that we need to take care of in concert with uh, the Israelis. So 
I, I hate to see it and say it, uh, but uh, that's what's needed to be done, and we, we see it going on. In fact, I think they may uh, have waited uh, too long. Sometimes this international support dissipates over time, so sometimes you have to strike and strike quickly. That was somewhat of the PAL doctrine uh, a number of years ago, and that is if you're going to get involved militarily, go in and hit, hit, hit hard, get it done with, get over with it, because otherwise – Things uh, the support dissipates over time, and uh, then you get into the situation we see right now with Ukraine. It drags on and on. We got into it in Afghanistan. We got into it in Vietnam. These things went on much too long. You have to have a defined mission and objective, go in and accomplish it, and then get out. We saw it with Osama bin Laden. He stuck around for for ten years. We should have we should have had him in that first six months. Uh, we let it linger too long. Then we stayed 10 years after we got him. And once we got to some midline, we should have declared victory and left. And when we didn't, you saw the, the debacle that we had when we left Afghanistan. I still have very hard feelings about what happened there. Well, our guest this morning has been West Virginia Secretary of State, Mac Warner, and uh, not the most graceful transition, but I did want to ask you, sir, before uh, we let you go, of course, uh, the news yesterday of uh, Senator Joe Manchin not seeking re-election. Uh, was that uh, something that blindsided you, and what were kind of your thoughts when you saw the announcement? No, I, I think uh, this state has gotten its politics now aligned with its people, its conservative values, religious values, and so forth. And the Democrat Party has been out of step, and that's why you've seen this tremendous transformation across the state. And now it's time for the state to move forward. We're going to do it with uh, very conservative uh, legislators, House, Senate. We're going to get a very conservative governor. Hopefully that will be me. But um, we're going to align that. So, so no, Joe Manchin stepping out. Joe is a personal friend, but politically he is off track with the rest of West Virginia. It was time for him to go. He knew he wasn't going to win a Senate race. And so we thank him for his service uh, over the years, but uh, it was service in the wrong direction. Uh, he, a lot of things that he voted for, such as even making Chuck Schumer, you know, uh, head of the Senate, uh, th- those are just wrong votes. Some of the votes with Supreme Court justices, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, it hasn't reduced inflation. Those sorts of things is where Joe is out of step with West Virginians. So it didn't surprise me whatsoever. Again, our guest this morning, West Virginia Secretary of State, Mac Warner. Sir, we appreciate you coming on. And for you and your family, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you all. Great being on with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got a break to take. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment here on Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Scratch my back Welcome back like to Panhandle that. Live from the Hoppy Kirchival Building. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online, too, at countryroadstire.com today. Another update uh, on that accident we reported earlier this morning, up very close to the Maryland state line, a vehicle crash at mile marker 24. Uh, traffic is stalled. It's moving at a, a very, very slow pace on those uh, northbound lanes. Uh, and is backed up all the way from basically the Maryland state line to the Route 9 exit, which name escapes me, Ex- exit 16 on uh, 81. And you mentioned this earlier, Marcia, uh, from Spring Mills up to the um, Maryland state line as well on the Williamsport Pike and Route 11 is also pretty congested. Um, traffic is moving at a, a very, very, very slow crawling pace. Um, and we'll continue to update uh, uh, that as uh, more details become available. But uh, Marcia, to 
tee up a, a previously enjoyed segment of uh, Panhandle Live. Of course, we're continuing our conversation today about Veterans Day. You know, not every community has a Veterans Day parade, and Martinsburg is lucky enough to have one. So here's our segment about that. November is a, a month that we talk a lot about veterans and Veterans Day is coming up. Joining us via phone is, from the Community Veterans Engagement Board and also an organizer for the uh, parade that's coming up, Kathleen Stotler. Welcome in. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Well, thanks for being on. So how long have you guys been working this year uh, getting ready for the for the parade? Um, actually, we start working once the parade ends the previous year. So um, after the parade last year, we, you know, took a break for a couple of weeks and then started gearing up for this year's parade. So wow. it's pretty much a year-long um, project. So, um, Kathleen, why are you involved in this? Um, I've always been very passionate about um, helping veterans and involved in the veteran community. So this is just another way to give back for everything that they've done for us. So it's just it's a privilege and an honor for me to be involved and see this project through. I'm the president of the parade planning committee this year. So um, we're trying to make it bigger and better each year, and that's the goal, and it's looking like that's going to happen. So um, that's my role in the parade planning um, event this year, but I have a great team, and um, we're excited for the 11th. Well, uh, let's start with the basics. Uh, When is this parade going to kick off? Where is it going to be? Sure. Um, So the parade this year actually is on Veterans Day, which, of course, is November 11th, and the start time is 2 p.m. We will start staging about an hour or so beforehand, and that is at the Berkeley County Judicial Center, Um, and then we will cut down Stevens Street, and the parade runs down Queen Street, the length of Queen Street, um, ending just prior to Anthony's Pizza, and then we will turn off down there. So it runs um, past the town square. I think there was a little bit of confusion somewhere that said it ended there, but we certainly don't end there. We pass down through there. That's where the MC will be set up. Um, we're thankful this year to have Lou Scally as the MC for the parade. And oh, then we will. Con- yeah, local, con- local longtime weatherman from one of the yeah. local TV stations. Yeah, so he's very well known, and he, um, a friend of mine, and he participated in the parade last year. And I asked him if he would be willing to come and MC the parade this year, and he graciously jumped at the opportunity. So we're excited to have him, and um, he will, you know, do an introduction of each parade participant and give a little background. And they will continue past the town square and come down through. Um, and as I mentioned, sort of end where the shops on Queen Street end and turn off at that light there just prior to where Anthony's Pizza is. How much involvement have you gotten from the region? I'm, I'm sure you've gotten, you know, panhandle-centric Berkeley, Jefferson, Morgan County participants. Uh, have you gotten any any uh, involvement from other places around like Maryland or Virginia? We have. We've had um, just the other day I had somebody reach out to me that said she would be coming from two and a half hours away, um, but that she had really enjoyed the parade. She participated previously and, you know, asked if she could come again, And which, of course, we said absolutely. We welcome anyone um, that would like to participate in the parade. Um, And even if they don't want to participate um, in the actual parade, of course, 
you know, we highly encourage people to come out to view the parade and, you know, honor and celebrate our veterans. And I stress this all the time to please bring children out. Of course, this is a very family-friendly event, and I think it's, you know, critically important to pass on to children how important it is, you know, to teach them about everything that our veterans have done for us and make sure that we, you know, we educate them and thank our veterans for everything that they've done. If someone hasn't been to a Veterans Day parade before, you know, and may be familiar with other kinds of parades, what is uh, what sets a Veterans Day parade apart? What kinds of uh, entries will you have? We will have a lot of military-themed um, uh, entries into the parade. Um, we have several different um, entries from the Martinsburg VA Medical Center. So they're always, you know, um, very, very involved, which we, we love. We will have some of the um, Golden Age Games participants. Oh, the athletes. Are, yeah, the athletes that um, had qualified and traveled um, to out of state to participate in some of the different sports that they had qualified to uh, for um, nationally. Um, they travel and they compete against all the different athletes from all the states, um, sort of an Olympics of, of sorts for the veterans. Um, so they always bring some, and they participate in the parade, which is great. Um, we have several different groups from the, the VA, just in different departments that come and um, participate. And, uh, you know, lots of different community organizations that are veteran-oriented, whether it's a resource for veterans or, um, you know, they just, whatever they do to serve or, you know, help veterans, uh, that is the difference. This is all, you know, to thank veterans, to celebrate veterans. Um, you know, there's parades for all different reasons, for holidays and um, things of that nature. But this is specifically for veterans and to celebrate them and honor them and thank them. And that is the true difference. Well, building off of that point, then, I think, you know, unfortunately, as the years goes on, there's fewer and fewer veterans of World War II that are with us, the Korean War as well. And, you know, Vietnam veterans are starting to get up there in age, and, and, and many of them were starting to lose as well. I mean, how important is it for, you know, the selfless act of those who serve this country uh, abroad to, to have an event like this while we still have the opportunity uh, to thank these veterans uh, as they get up to uh, older ages in life? I, I think it's you know, I, I've said many times, um, I think it's a shame that we only have one day that's Veterans Day. Um, you know, I think every day we should celebrate our veterans, and you're absolutely right. You know, the more time that passes, the more veterans that we lose. And unfortunately, you know, our veteran, our Vietnam veterans did not get the welcome home and the celebration that you know, many of our veterans receive today, which they deserve. Um, you know, so anytime I see a Vietnam veteran, I always thank them and tell them welcome home. And, you know, I encourage everybody to, when they see a veteran, whether they're wearing a veteran hat or shirt, or you can identify them as a veteran, to just take a minute and thank them for their service, not just on Veterans Day, but, but every day. And, you know, particularly... At the parade that day, <clears throat> you know, if you if you see a veteran, um, 
you know, and if you're with your son or daughter or another child there that day, you know, tell them to shake their hand and tell them thank you. You you really don't know what it means to them um, just to hear that or to tell a Vietnam veteran, welcome home, because I can guarantee you that many of them, that will be the first time that they've heard that. Well, I hope the parade is a smashing success, Kathleen, and I really appreciate you giving us the time this morning. Thank you for allowing me to um, you know, discuss it and for promoting this very important event. Again, that was Kathleen Stotler and the Veterans Day Parade. Marsha begins 2 o'clock on Saturday. That's awesome. It's great that we have that in our community. Um, so we're going to continue talking about some really important uh, statewide events at the uh, flip side of this break with Matt Harvey, who's uh, gotten a new position in addition to what he's already doing. Absolutely. More Panhandle Live coming up after this. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Continuing the conversation here from the Hoppy Kirchival Building in Martinsburg, it's Panhandle Live with Luke Wiggs and Marsha Kowalik. And uh, Marsha, our next guest joining us via phone. Jefferson County Prosecutor Matt Harvey joins us. Welcome in. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be on. Thanks for being on, and congratulations. You were uh, recently appointed the chair of the West Virginia First Foundation. So how does that feel? Well, <laughs> um, thanks. Well, first of all, thank you for um, for mentioning that. Um, it was uh, it was I, I was very reflective about it. On my drive, I had a five hour drive home from Charlestown to Charleston, or from Charleston to Charlestown. So. Uh, it was um, uh, just kind of the the moment and the heaviness of the responsibility, the reason why this board exists, and the fact that I got to be the first chair was just a a, a deep and moving experience. And um, I'm still riding uh, a lot of emotions from that. But just we have such important work ahead of us, and uh, all of us on that board are absolutely ready to hit the ground running. So we know that around $300 million are already kind of out there established to be used by this committee. By the time it's over, it'll be close to a billion dollars when the settlements all matriculate down. Uh, That is a lot of money. And I know the the board already has some ideas. You're going to do some listening tours. But I wanted to ask you your specific um, opinion, your your point of view, because as a prosecutor uh, and you've been a defense attorney, uh, you have had kind of an interesting window and insight into what ca- causes folks to get into trouble with drugs and, and what kinds of devastating impacts that can have on them, their victims sometimes, and their families. So uh, talk a little bit about that and what kind of drives you. Well, from that varied experience I've had, I have had in my career, um, I know that there isn't a silver bullet to, that will fix addiction or substance use disorder. It takes different, we find people as they are and where, and we meet them where they are. And what will work for one person won't work for the other. So I think that variety and needs to be a part of any strategy going forward. Um, And this includes enforcement. And that means putting more assets out on the streets to help uh, prevent these drugs from coming in to our communities. So 
Is there a common denominator? I know you said there's not a silver bullet, but are there things that you can identify? I know, you know, the Martinsburg Initiative works with the ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences, and can quantify, you know, children that might have a greater risk of getting into trouble with substance abuse. Are there common denominators that, you know, are easy to to kind of throw money at and, and try to prevent? Well, the... the... I hate to say the word throw money at. It's an investment into a, an evidence-based program that has the ability to receive financial resources and can, and can comply with tracking them. And what I exactly mean by that is you have to have a program that works and you have to have the ability to spend the money efficiently and be able to account for it, that it's not wasted or stolen or anything like that. Um, and that's the programs. Now, there's a... I think it's important to kind of back up here. You, you're absolutely correct. $300 million was released from the settlement of the escrow and moved into. Um, well, I opened. I got to open the bank account Monday. Wow. $17 million. How did um, that feel? Not, not real. It's just <laughs> if it's a number like that, it doesn't feel like it. You know, it's kind of cartoonish. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but. That means that seventy-three and a half million dollars is being just being released to go to the counties and the municipalities by the end of the year. Wow. So, you, know, you know, this is this. I think this is what's really important that people need to think is, yeah, we have this money, but the counties, and municipalities. This is remember, this is their agreement. This is the the negotiated terms of a lawsuit, and we have a memorandum of understanding that is a board with is our playbook on how we're supposed to operate. And what they're saying is, we want some. We want to draw down some money now, and then we want the board to t- to make sure that they preserve some money for uh, re- uh, attacking these issues into the future. So, and we, we have some parameters about how much money that we're going to be have to spend uh, per year going forward. There's um, different requirements for that. So, you know, if if you have a, a a well-run program that has the ability to receive money and and account for it and track it your first your first conversation ought to be with your county commissioners or your city leaders your mayor your city council people well two interesting takeaways when you had a, a previous interview with the uh, hoppy kirchville that stood out to me sir where, well two things number one uh, with this new west virginia first foundation it, it is brand new so it seems as though you guys have been diverting a lot of your early attention to you know finding office space like you mentioned opening up a bank account so you're completely starting from scratch which is interesting and i'd like you to, to expand on that and also a point that you just made that you know this isn't as simple as 300 million dollars is going to get spent in the next six months on whatever you had expressed an interest of creating a sustainable foundation to combat this epidemic as long as the epidemic exists. That's right. That's right. And that's not, that's the guidance that I am receiving about the, the preservation of the, the foundation. That's what's in the MOU. That's why the, the counties, and this is a unique opportunity. This is a unique structure. Instead of creating a state agency to receive the money and distribute it out, they've decided to put it into a private foundation, which required a, a tremendous amount of trust and, and courage on, on the local officials' part. And so, you know, I, I'm very mindful of that. And they want this money to not be spit down in, in two or three years and be gone. It, if that was the case, they, they could have just gotten the money themselves, all, all of it directly. 
so, you know, that, that's what I'm keying off of. And that's what's driving me is, is I'm trying to honor their wishes uh, the parties in this lawsuit that negotiated that. And they, and obviously the local county commissioners and your mayors and your municipal leaders, they were, they were, they were representing, representing their constituents. I'm sorry. I have a three-year-old. That's today. adorable. <laughs> I love hearing that. I, I'm sorry. So she's been kind of distracting. <laughs> she, she broke the, the lock that Bluey had on her. Now she's, Hey, sweetheart, come over here and sit down. <laughs> we, I know, we'll play ball here in a minute. We yeah. love hearing that. So it's Matt Harvey. He's the Jefferson County prosecuting <laughs> yeah. attorney. He's yeah. also the chair of the West Virginia Maybe First Foundation. And he's the dad. <laughs> he's dad. Um, so speaking well, of kind you know, of... Look, uh, that, and people want to know why I'm doing this. Well, she's right here in front of me. Um, you, you know, Marshall, you know how, you know where, where you and I grew up. Right. And what it did. To, to that generation and, and the young people and just everybody down there, this plague that was unleashed onto the citizens of West Virginia. And, you know, I cannot let that happen to her. Well said. So, you know, I, I know we want to touch base with you, you know, in the coming months as this money matriculates down to the counties and uh, municipalities and uh, I'm I'm sure you've got some ideas. I'm sure you guys are going to be listening. I know we talked to Tim Saya. He's interested in hearing uh, our region's uh, response, what they want to do with these funds. And uh, so keep keep in touch about this. And uh, we look forward to, to hearing from you. And have a great day with your daughter today. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I, I, I can't wait to come back on and give you some updates and and talk more about this and and absolutely we all as a board we want to listen we want to learn and we're, we're here to serve absolutely but again our guest this morning has been jefferson county prosecutor matt harvey newly appointed chair of the west virginia first foundation uh and again sir thank you for your time have a good weekend you too right. take care <laughs> Sounds like there's a lot going on in the Harvey household. Oh, I, lo- I love hearing those. I love hearing that little voice. Um, so 23, uh, the 23 mile marker of Interstate 81 has reopened. I uh, just got that message from Alert Berkeley a minute ago. Uh, one lane at this time. Use caution as traffic is backed up on I-81 as well as Route 11. They don't use the word boogered up, but that's what they mean. So I also have on 511, um, and let me confirm this as well, another, uh, one? <laughs> another vehicle crash at mile marker 18 uh, that happened six minutes ago. So as you look at the cameras and what we had talked about earlier, Marcia, uh, all the way from, uh, what was it again, exit 16 up to the, the Maryland line, we talked much, about yeah. traffic moving at a pretty uh, slow pace, but moving. Uh, currently, I'm looking at uh, a picture uh, just uh, north of mile marker 16, and it is almost a complete standstill. And then a little bit closer up to the uh, Pennsylvania line, a lot of the sa- the same. And then uh, for Route 11, the Williamsport Pike from um, uh, the Spring Mills area up to the Maryland state line is also pretty congested. So, you know, if you're able to just to avoid that part um, in- entirely, uh, and we'll continue updating the remaining minutes that we have on the show and the traffic updates that we have uh, running through the rest of the day. We've got one more break to take when we return. Got some really interesting numbers about uh, population for West Virginia schools and potentially the sports ramifications of that or the ramifications specifically in Berkeley County. We also have a little bit of soccer to talk about as well, and we'll reset our high school football playoff broadcast schedule for tonight. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. 
Welcome back. Final segment for the week of Panhandle Live, broadcasting from the Hoppy Kirchville building. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care. With two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville, online to at countryroadstire.com today. Standing by, top of the hour, Metro News' Hoppy Kirchival will uh, uh, set the scene and talk a lot, of course, about the, the Joe Manchin news that we're reacting to. Um, that happened yesterday, of course, announcing that he's not going to run for re-election. But before we do that, let's jump into our news product because Thursday uh, was city manager Andy Blake's first meeting, and we've got some sound from that that we'll play. As I wrap up my second week, I just want to say thank you to the mayor and council for entrusting me with this responsibility. I look forward to working with all of you to continue making our city a better place. And with our 200-plus dedicated employees, I may not always be able to say yes to everything, but I certainly will try to provide you an honest explanation as to why. And uh, again, thank you very much. And with that, having said that, I'll defer to my written report. Now, uh, in the meeting, he talked about a couple of existing projects, City Hall renovations, potentially a possible replacement for Lambert Pools, uh, and other things. But uh, Andy Blake, he's on the job, Marsha. That's right. Another uh, piece of news that came out, uh, Sheriff Harmon released this uh, yesterday evening. Uh, Berkeley County deputies have arrested the son of a woman found dead at a residence in Berkeley, uh, in uh, Bunker Hill earlier this week. Deputies found 72-year-old Nellie West deceased inside a home off Warrior Drive in Bunker Hill, uh, November 6th. Members of the Criminal Investigative Division were called. Uh, they observed West had injuries consistent with uh, neglect. Her body was taken to the medical examiner's office in Charleston. Investigators obtained a, an arrest warrant for Nellie West's son, Mark. Uh, he was taken into custody at his residence on Thursday. He's been charged with neglect of an incapacitated adult causing death. Uh, and we'll continue, of course, to update you on that story as well. Also wanted to mention, we talked about it yesterday, uh, for Morgan County and the, the the administrative offices will be closed, uh, Sheriff Casey Boer is saying, on the 15th and 16th. Uh, due to some staffing issues, they're dealing with some in, uh, illnesses there, excuse me. They have a non-emergency line, and we want to give out that number one more time. Uh, a non-emergency line uh, to contact the, the department is 304 258 Zero three zero five. Cold and flu season, Marcia is uh, is upon mm. us certainly. And, and one of his, I guess, his full time staff members out on family medical leave. So it's you know that's not permanent. But um, he did say he had asked for some extra help from the commission. He's going to um, ask again uh, for some extra help. Also, just a note that because Veterans Day falls on Saturday, a lot of government offices are observing today. So that means uh, you know call before you. Uh, head over to to an office and just make sure that it is indeed open because a lot of municipalities are closed today in observance of Veterans Day. Also, something that came up that was really interesting and Coalfields and Company reported on this, high school enrollment numbers have been released for uh, for schools across the state of West Virginia. And this is a a graphic that they made that was football-specific, but it was really interesting to look at some projected and some actual enrollment numbers for schools across the state of West Virginia. Uh, and Marsha, we were having this conversation off the air. It came as a surprise to me as to what the most populated Eastern Panhandle school is. Musselman is the second highest enrolled school in the state of West Virginia, second only Morgantown. Morgantown at eight, 1,823 students, 1,780 for Musselman. So we've heard surprised. people on <laughs> talk about a new school in mm-hmm. Berkeley County, and they had mentioned if it was going to go somewhere, it was going to go in the southern part of the county. And that's been an idea that has been talked about. I know we had uh, president of the school board, Patrick Murphy, on a few years ago, and he said, you know, if he had his druthers, 
he'd have a fifth school and it would be over in the Glengarry area. I'm not sure if that's exactly where it will be located, but uh, we got that new middle school complex um, over towards that area off 51. Uh, here's the thing, though. Yes, we need another high school in the southern end of the county, but we are also probably going to need another high school in the northern end of the county because Spring Mills area is going, you know, it's growing like gangbusters too. Um, so, you know, I, I don't envy the job of those trying to build new schools in the county um, or retrofit 100-year-old schools. Uh, we heard there were eight school uh, buildings in the county that are 100 years of age or older, and uh, they can't afford to just take those down and, and build something else. They need those schools. Do you want to take a shot at naming in order from most populated to least populated of the six schools in the Eastern Panhandle Athletic Conference? Oh, wow. Okay, so we know that... Musselman's number one. Musselman is number one. With, uh, again, uh, 1,780 students. You're saying EPAN, right? The whole EPAN? Yeah, the, those six schools. You think okay. you can rank them? So I'm going to say uh, Musselman, the Martinsburg, uh, then Spring Mills and Washington, Jefferson, and Hedgesville. Interesting. So it, it goes like this. Musselman, okay. uh, number two, uh, number one of all the schools. Uh, number six in the state and second in the Eastern Panhandle is Spring Mills, 1,549. Okay. I was close. Absolutely. Oh, so yeah. it's, not, it, it's not Martinsburg. Martinsburg is number three. Wow. 1,466 students coming in at number eight in the state. Number nine right behind them with 1,407 students is Hedgesville. Uh, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Uh, Hedgesville comes in at number 10 in the state. And then uh, Washington... Uh, coming in, I'm um, Jefferson right behind them at 1394, and then Washington at 1384. Okay, so, so uh, just I stumbled through that: Musselman, Spring Mills, Martinsburg, Hedgesville, Jefferson, and Washington. But those enrollment numbers all really close to each other. Absolutely, um, and Washington still is the least populated school in the Eastern Panhandle, is the 12th most populated school in the state. So, from a from a management perspective, if you've got that many bodies in a school, and I know that Musselman put uh, like a, a freshman wing in to kind of help with traffic and all of that. It is, it's hard to manage that many people um, in a building the size that, that we have in the panhandle. So, you know, hats off to the administrators who are dealing with that, those kinds of numbers, uh, you know, on the daily. Yeah, certainly. And uh, of course, the reason why Cold Fields brought that up was a, a potential move to four classifications for football, which I think is foolish, but we can talk about that <laughs> on another day. One Maybe more on thing we, we did want to touch on, tense moment yesterday, Marsha, very <laughs> tense moment uh, in the in the, in the the production studio for the newsroom. Uh, at noon, Mountain State Derby 2 tickets were released for Marshall and WVU in their rematch in the Sunbelt Conference title. Um, I can tell you that there's 1.8 million people in the state. Not all of them are going to have a ticket to this game, but the Kavalik clan does. <laughs> I I, I was a little concerned. I thought there was a glitch. I'm like, why are there no <laughs> tickets available? Why can't I? So I finally got tickets, standing room only. And then I, because I'm me, I, I called the ticket office. I'm like, is there, was there a glitch? Like, <laughs> am I just, because I would like to get a seated ticket if I could. And and the guy messaged me back to his credit. I know they were very busy. He said, we're sold out. And that was within a half hour. I understand, and maybe I'm wrong, but I understand tickets went on sale at noon. I bought mine at nine at at, at twelve fifteen. Uh, they were standing room only then, and then I got confirmation around twelve twenty five or so. The fellow from the ticket office said we're sold out. <laughs> so you will be in attendance, though. Maybe it's well, be... some of us. I'm not sure. If, you know, uh, maybe not all of us, but at least 
at least dad and maybe the college kid will be there. We, we'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll give a full report if I happen to get a chance to be down there. Well, that's going to kick off at uh, 1 p.m. on Sunday, Marshall and WVU. WVU claiming the first of the two matchups this year, the second one on Marshall's home field. We'll see if they can get even both of those teams a lock for the NCAA tournament. Uh, and it's going to be fun to watch on Sunday. A reminder, our broadcast schedule tonight for high school football as we've reached round one of the postseason Tonight on WEPM and WCST. Uh, let's get one more traffic update in, Marcia. Um, so with that new crash at mile marker 18, traffic is now backed up um, south of the exit 16 interchange, so uh, probably around the 15-mile marker or so. Uh, so avoid that area if you can because um, you, you're just going to be sitting in traffic otherwise. Uh, tonight on WEPM and WCST, Spring Mills against Spring Valley. Our coverage will begin at 7 o'clock. We'll kick that game off at 7.30. We're also going to stream exclusively online that Jefferson against Wheeling Park game. You can find links to that stream. Parker Stone will have the call on our Twitter and Facebook page. But on the Spring Mills broadcast, we're going to do a series of live look-ins, try to get both broadcasts uh, on the air. And if my game finishes before Parker's game, we're going to put the conclusion of his game on the radio as well. And then, of course, we've got uh, high school game night that's going to take you all the way uh, until midnight, uh, talking about all the playoff action that's happening across the state of West Virginia. It comes your way beginning at 7 o'clock tonight here on WEPM and WCSC. For Marsha Gavalik, I've been Luke Wiggs. This has been Panhandle Live. We'll talk to you all on Monday. Hoppy Kerchival is next. and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.